it's really hard for business owners to get out of their own way because they're used to being in charge and they they underestimate how much people won't tell them what they need to know. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedluck, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Valerie. Valerie, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Michelle. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. Awesome. So give us kind of a highlight of who you are and what you love to do for business. Well, I'm a Minnesota girl living just north of Houston, Texas. My husband and I have been living here since 2001. We and our adult children have settled here. So, you know, we just love that, right? We just see everyone all the time. Uh, we are dog lovers. So I think we're on, um, I think in our total lifetime together, I think we're on dogs number nine and 10, right? <laughs> wow. So yeah, definitely doing the dog thing. And I am a fractional COO, which is just a fancy way of saying I'm a part-time COO for different client businesses, businesses that are growing rapidly and, and you know want to continue to grow. Um, oftentimes they're sort of ready to have a COO, but they can't necessarily afford a full-time one yet. So I come in and work with the business um, and grow them to the point that they need a full-time COO. I like to coach or mentor someone internally if possible, or then we bring someone in outside and I move on to the next client. Very fun. So how did you get into being a fractional COO as a thing? You know, <laughs> It was sort of a level of frustration, Michelle. <laughs> I had a business that I had been running since um, 2002, which uh, the, that particular niche, it was a, a professional services business. That particular niche collapsed in COVID. It was a public speaking coaching business and no one was doing public speaking during COVID. <laughs> no one was getting hired. And so I thought, oh, I think I'll take this time to you know work on some of my business skills, uh, I took some um, coaching, uh, marketing coaching programs and courses, and I kept noticing that the people in the groups were asking questions of the coaches and the consultants um, that were really operations-based questions, and they weren't getting answers to their questions, and they weren't able to implement any of the ideas or concepts that were being talked about in the courses because they didn't have the operational infrastructure or foundation to do so. And let's be honest, Michelle, I'm not talking about massive operational <laughs> infrastructure. I'm just talking about some basic infrastructure to get you over $100,000, then up to $500,000 into a million, right? right? And they just didn't have it. And the coaches and consultants didn't know how to tell them what they needed to do, or, or they didn't know to say, hey, you're trying to start at M, and N and O, and we really need to do A, B, C, D first. So I started feeling, um, I could see their frustration. I could tell that they just were sort of at their wits ends because they couldn't implement what they were learning. And so I decided that I would start helping people here and there. And before I knew it, it quickly became a full-time business for me. Uh, because one of the reasons I had been very, very successful in my first business, of course, we like to think we're really skilled at what we do, right? Um, but you know, 80% of your success in any business is your ability to actually run the business, not just do the, the skill that you're trying to engage in. And I knew that one of the reasons I had been so successful because I was good at running a business. So now I help other people learn how to run their business. 
Nice. Well, and I I had an interesting stat once. It was something like 89% of all entrepreneurs uh, have no training in business at all. <laughs> so nobody, right. like they don't have um, BAs. They don't have any admins. <laughs> like, so they're just going in and going, hey, I got this great idea. And the fundamentals of business just aren't there. I mean, the idea or notion of reading a you know, profit and loss statement is just zero. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Let's start there and go, what do, you, what do you mean profit? What? How do I count? Like the idea of gross profit or, and I just yes. confuse people to no yes. end just talking about these things. And they're like, I don't know. I know how much money I got in my bank. Does that count? I'm like, well, it's a good start. <laughs> right, and sometimes- they're, they feel like they're moving so fast and that paying attention to profit margin or gross revenue, you know, whatever we want to call it, they feel like that's going to be really, really time consuming. And they're trying to move so fast to grow their business. I'll get to that later, or, you know, I'll get to that next month. And then of course, next month never arrives. And what I try to tell people is you don't need to put this huge, overwhelming infrastructure in place. I run million dollar businesses in eight to 10 hours a month. I, I'm sorry, eight to 10 hours a week. And what I mean by say, that nice. is- How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, that'd be really cool. Wouldn't you be so awesome. impressed? Let's talk about and that. I say that I'm, <laughs> I'm running those businesses. I, I mean, I'm meeting with team members. I'm giving them work direction. I'm reviewing work product. I'm correcting. I'm coaching. I'm adventure. I'm looking at profit margin. So all of the things that people think, I don't want to do that or learn how to do that because it's going to take too long. You really can run a business, a million dollar business, in 20% of your week. And then you got 80% of your week to do all the fun stuff. <laughs> right. Well, and in my preconceived notion of this is because once you get up, once you have a team in place and you have people that you can delegate things to, obviously you're leveraging that time and, and it actually becomes easier to run a million dollar business with some people in support in place than it is to, you know, do that initial, depending on how somebody has a business structured, that initial kind of startup, whatever that might mean. So true. Um, usually when you're trying to get to a hundred thousand, you're probably a solo entrepreneur. <laughs> so you're literally doing everything <laughs> yourself. And sure, then a couple things might be sliding by the wayside, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to get from a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, you're probably starting to bring in a few team members, maybe virtual members or or part-time people, sometimes even family members that are helping out, right? And um, that's that, that $100,000 to $500,000 a year is where you start to be needing to put processes and procedures in place and ways of communicating. Now, when I say processes and procedures, people just get that horrified look on their face. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about documented processes and procedures and standard operating procedure manuals. And this is, you know, really in-depth explanations of how we do things. Because if you think about it, processes and procedures at the core of them, it's an accepted method of achieving a goal. So as long as everyone agrees and understands what the method of achieving that particular goal is, let's say onboarding clients, if you don't have high turnover in your business and you don't find that there's a lot of change in that processes and procedures, you don't need to document it out the wazoo, right? That's probably not the best investment of your team's time, your or your team's time. And so I think I think when people think of operating their business, they think of cumbersome, overwhelming, boring, 
processes and procedures. And it's really more dynamic than that because when you're moving from 100 to 500,000 and then 500,000 to a million, your processes and procedures are changing rapidly. They're probably evolving to a certain extent every three to six months, probably closer to the three if you're growing, <laughs> right? So if you're investing a lot of time documenting things and, and making things really minute and very detailed, you're just going to have to change those in three months time, right? So you're better off communicating with your team and getting by in an agreement on a regular basis on what the process is. And then when you change it, again, you have a communication about what that is, then doing these really in-depth process manuals, because it's just going to change in three months anyway. So what's the point? Right. Well, and I think a lot of people don't realize in those initial stages, they're trying to figure out what works. So they may be doing it six different ways. <laughs> they don't right. really have a standard. It's, you know, we'll try this, we'll see what happens and we'll, we're going to go from there. And, and I love your point that it's more about the communication with the team of, hey, I tried this and seemed to work. You know, yes. Let's <laughs> maybe do it the same way next time. See if we can get a similar result. And, and, and the also, same thing happens for everything. Hmm? Yes. And I've also had clients that, um, <clears throat> have overdeveloped processes and procedures because, you know, when they were growing the business up to that hundred thousand dollar mark, they were doing it all and they have really strong feelings about how they want it done. Now, yes, if you're a neurosurgeon, please feel free to have strong feelings. <laughs> if you're building a nuclear weapon, yes, let's have processes and procedures. But sometimes as a business that's rapidly growing, you, you want to bring employees on board who are thinking, who are thinking for themselves, problem solving, self-motivated. They're in, they've really bought into the business. And so you want to give them the goal or the outcome. This is what I want. I want a PL statement at the end of the month. You don't want to insult them by saying, open your Word document, <laughs> you know, import from the PDF or, you know, <laughs> create an Excel spreadsheet. Because what happens when you hire those people, those kind of self-motivated go-getter people who are really thinking and want to be in on, a, on the ground floor of a growing business, and you give them overdeveloped processes and procedures, they're sort of insulted. It's very restrictive and they're going to leave, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to stop thinking of processes and procedures as though we're neurosurgeons, unless of course you are a neurosurgeon, then please feel free. <laughs> um, but we need to think of them as a tool that we use for our benefit and for our employees' benefit, not as this one-size-fits-all kind of concept. Well, yeah. And I would think personality type is going to go in there a lot. So if you have a, a VA that's doing something really repetitious, it's like, okay, I need to know what document we're cutting and pasting from. Right. And then if you're hiring a salesperson, it's like, okay, run. <laughs> you you right. go do you. <laughs> Exactly. And what I'm finding right now is, especially with growing businesses where the processes and procedures evolve quickly, is instead of doing a, a written document, step one, do this, step two, do that. Step, what you can do is have your VA or your accountant or whoever is doing the process, um, just create a short video. It's usually going to be five minutes or less where they just, you know, start with it. And to do this, I click here and then I go over here and I look for this and I decide on this and that. They can probably record it in under five minutes. You store it in a central place on Dropbox or some other place. Then everybody knows, oh, you know, if Valerie's out sick for today and she usually onboards clients, I just go to our folder in Dropbox, open the onboarding video, and it walks me through how to do it. 
And, and then when it all changes in three to four months, you know, it only takes five minutes to update it. Awesome. So when you're working with somebody, what does that typically look like? How do you kind of onboard your clients and, and what are you typically doing with them? Right. So generally speaking, it's different than being a consultant coming in for a specific project. Mm -hmm. Typically when um, a business owner is bringing me in, it's because they think they, they, they believe they have operational problems and they probably do. (laughs) They have uh, stated to me what they think the problem is. They're almost never right. And so my first job is to come in and really assess what's going on. And it sounds much more formal than it needs to. What I really do is I attend the regular meetings. I meet with department heads. I meet with individual employees. Um, I, I list, it's a lot of listening. And then it's a lot of observing because any work group communicates during the work day. If you're in a work environment when everyone's together, Those are casual conversations that I might be hearing going on in the workplace. If they're virtual, it's on some kind of Slack channel or, you know, Discord or some other way of communicating. And so it's a lot of listening and observing people's patterns and the communication patterns, leadership patterns, performance problems, patterns. And then I, it's, I usually am able to identify the root cause of the problem within the first two weeks. And then I sort of continue to observe for a couple more weeks just to, to make sure I'm with that. And then what I like to do is, cause you know, any change can be intimidating. And typically when you bring in a COO, everyone in the organization is worried you're about to get fired. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm about to get fired. You know, they're gonna find out all these horrible things I've been doing, which is of course not true. And so what I usually try to do in the first couple of projects that we're going to improve and and, and work on is find projects, um, some sort of easier implementation projects that can immediately benefit the company, but also immediately benefit the team members. So they can see that we're trying to improve things that make their jobs easier to do or that make them feel more successful in their jobs. Maybe they're working really hard and they feel like nobody's noticing that. So maybe we start reporting statistics on how much they're producing and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea I was doing that much, right? And so um, it's really a lot of change management skills in those first few months. And so you start slow to get everyone accustomed because it's a new culture, right? We're now going to be accountable for what we're doing. We're going to think in a way of process improvement and problem solving instead of just bitching and complaining, which is always very tempting and yes, so fulfilling, right? (laughs) So very fulfilling. And um, so I, I really do operate. I'm sure if you asked most of the employees at the clients that I work with, how much I work, they probably think I I work 30 to 40 hours a week. They probably think I'm full-time. Most of them are totally unaware that I'm actually working part-time because of the way I'm able to manage the workload. So they feel like I respond to them very quickly as if I'm totally available all day. I I love that. And I'm thinking a lot of people do that. And then when they realize kind of, it's really all about getting the job done, not so much (laughs) being there all the time. Right, exactly. Yeah, just producing the outcome. And and it teaches them too. A lot of my clients, um, I'm sure many people are experiencing this. A lot of my clients have a high number of virtual workers now because that's, you know, so very popular and such a trend. Um, and and so they they really enjoy that I sort of give them permission to 
you know, yes, if you want to go to your daughter's, you know, a party at school, please feel free to leave early. You know, just as long as you get the work done, just as long as we have the outcome that we need, we can be flexible on hours. Right. And love that. And, and when you're hiring the right people, it's, it's being able to see that, you know, they can produce a lot faster than, than somebody that has to figure out how to do the whole setup. So give us an example of one of the Cinderella stories, one of your clients. Yes. Okay. So uh, I was working for a woman who I really liked, just a great, great person, uh, very smart, very hardworking, very self-motivated. And um, she had, she was following a particular business model. She was a sales um, trainer. And so she provide, provided sales training, coaching for graphic design businesses, right? She's really, really smart, just a, a really great person. And she was following a specific business plan by a business coach that she was working with. And this particular business plan um, advocated hiring offshore talent at a very low hourly rate to set appointments and do sales calls. And she was very, very frustrated because they didn't seem to be following the processes and procedures that she had laid out, which were very clear. And she was giving them work direction and, and she felt like they just weren't doing it. They, she felt like they were just sitting there wasting time. They weren't doing anything. And the actuality was that the particular business model that her coach was encouraging people to use was based on selling a service that was at a much lower dollar value. And the people that um, that you would be selling to at that dollar value did not necessarily have a lot of education. So language skills was not an important factor, right? Whereas mm -hmm. uh, the dollar value that she was selling at, which was quite sizable, um, the 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 people that you're interacting with or trying to get on a sales call and then close the call had a much higher expectation of language skills. And so when they were interacting with people who made lots of errors in, in messages or emails, and then when talking to them, it just wasn't connecting and she wasn't closing as much as she, she really wanted to. So I recommend that she actually go with a different type of individual who was either, she was in the US, so it's either US-based Canadian or European. We actually hired someone from England and then someone from Canada. And her revenue um, tripled within four months. Nice. So the people that we hired were probably about twice the price of the offshore teams that she was using, but she needed fewer people and she tripled her revenue. She didn't change anything else about her program or her process. She just changed the kind of people that she was hiring. And so what's important to note is, you know, there's a lot of sort of one size fits all business models out there. And so when you're looking at one of those business models, what you need to do is ask yourself, is this business model constructed for someone selling products or services similar to what I'm selling? And is the target demographic similar to what my target audience is? Because I think sometimes we think, oh, this just is really successful for them. And so it will be successful for me. And that's not always the case. Right. Well, and I find a lot of them, it really depends on the price point of your product that you're selling and, and the strategy outcome of where you're going. Because if you're kind of selling to the masses, it's, it's one thing. And then if you, as soon as you start to narrow in that it's a particular person or a particular head of a company or per, uh, the head of a department, then all of a sudden the, the rules of the game change. 
and yes. people don't realize how much that changes. Um, you know, the diff- it could be the difference between, you know, focusing for leads on Facebook to focusing leads on LinkedIn to needing to go and do it in person. And then they're just not there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's different. And I think a lot of people when searching for a way to consistently sell, just try to adopt someone else's system sort of outright. And what I encourage people to do is think through what aspects of this system work for me and, you know, my, my product or service and my audience, and maybe what do I still need to steal from someone else's system or how do I need to tweak it? Um, There are a lot of sales systems out there for um, high volume sales at a low price point. There are much fewer systems out there for uh, low volume sales at a much higher price point, right? And so if you're one of those businesses, you know, for example, if, uh, you know, you're selling a Bentley, your sales approach is going to be completely different than, you know, if you're selling an entry level Ford, right? And um, so I think that, I think that people need to stop and look at the programs that they're trying to bring in to accommodate or fix their their issues or what they're struggling with to make sure that it's actually a fit for what they're trying to achieve. Nice. Love that. So what are some of like, we've gone over some of the mistakes that entrepreneurs are making or their oversights that they're having, but what typically are you finding is kind of a consistent issue that, you know, if people just did this mm-hmm. <laughs> differently, they'd get a different results. No, you know, this is just awful to say, but it's very true. People get in their own way. They do. That's the biggest yes, challenge. They do. Uh, people who are running a business are often very creative. You know, an entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur, a small business owner, often very creative, have innovative ideas, and this is why they've created a business. And at a certain point along the way, the creativity that enabled you to create the business gets in the way of actually running and growing the business. And it's really hard for people to let go a little bit of their baby and have someone else run the business. But what they don't realize is they're being creative, visionaries, true entrepreneurs are drained by the routine aspects of running a business. But if they're still fully in charge of running the business, they have to make all the decisions and do all the boring stuff that they don't really like to do. (laughs) And the trick is to find someone who really thrives on those kinds of things and gets great joy from making things run well day in and day out so that they can free themselves up to find the next creative idea or the next niche that we can apply our products or services to. So I like to tell people that other than being a parent, um, running a business is the biggest personal development challenge there is because your business will grow at the speed of you. So if you're not growing and developing personally in your personal leadership and your business leadership, and as someone in your industry, your business won't grow either. Even if you bring in the best people, if you're not growing and developing and making sure you're getting out of their way, because you're, when you're hiring top talent, your job when you bring them in is to give them the tools to do their business, to do their job, right? <laughs> a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, business owners still feel like they should control everything, even though they brought in the top talent. When I'm working with a team, I feel that my job as a COO is to give them the tools and abilities and everything they need to do their job. Obviously, you know, within parameters that we're trying to achieve, right? Not just <laughs> randomly, you know, run around. 
but um, it's really hard for business owners to get out of their own way because they're used to being in charge and they, they underestimate how much people won't tell them what they need to know. Even though I'm a business owner and I think of myself as a nice person and I think everybody like, you know, I think I'm a good person. The, the employees or team members that you're signing the paycheck for, they're not going to tell you what you don't want to hear. A fractional mm -hmm. COO is going to tell you. It's going to tell you, this is what you need to do. It, you need a peer relationship instead of a subordinate relationship so that you can get out of your own way. It's just really hard. You can do it up to about $500,000, right? You can do it. But after $500,000, you have to learn to get out of your own way or you just can't grow. Nice. Love that. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you? Well, it's very simple to find me on the internet. I'm ValerieHayes.com, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. I do post slightly sassy uh, videos every day on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, Valerie Hayes. And I think on Instagram and LinkedIn, I'm Valerie M. Hayes, Amazon Mary. Um, and then, of course, you can um, contact me from my website or on LinkedIn, or you can email at Valerie at ValerieHayes.com. I respond to all the emails. It's not a virtual assistant. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that's the best way to get in touch. Nice. I love it. And of course, peeps, we will have all of Valerie's links in the show notes for you. Um, and of course, you can go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog and search for Valerie, fractional COO, any of the stuff we've been talking about today, and, and she's sure to pop up. Awesome. So Valerie, at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? You know, I started thinking about it in my 30s, that I would like to run my own business. And you know, I just didn't have what people would say would be the typical background. I don't think I fit the quote unquote personality type, didn't have a business degree, didn't come from a family that had run a family business. But I think it's just something you just kind of feel within you that you have an idea of how you could do something new or how you could do something better. And, and I felt that I could, I felt that I really had something to offer that was better than what was available out there. So I just closed my eyes, took the jump. And, uh, you know, it took a few years to really establish myself, but I, I was able to go from a locally known person in my industry to one of the top three in the United States within five years. So that was, I was pretty oh. happy with that. Nice. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and in your entrepreneurial journey, did you ever make any mistakes that at the time might've seemed kind of horrific, but that you can now laugh at? Boy, you know, sometimes I feel like in the early years, 80% of the decisions were mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right? Oh well, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that. I think one of the, um, I don't know if it was a mistake, but it's one of the things you learn the longer you're in business. Um, people often wait too long to hire people in to help them. And they they wait until they, they oh, well, I have to have the revenue in to hire these people, right? You should try to hire people before you think the revenue is going to hit because you want to have them fully trained when the revenue hits. So whatever you think that lead is going to be like three months, six months, a year, right? Mm -hmm. In, in um, my current business, I hired someone a year before I thought I would need them because I wanted them to be fully and completely trained so I could just delegate and not even think about it, right? Which worked out really, really well. 
So I think looking back, if I was going to give someone advice, hire people before you think you need them. I love that. And because um, I know the next question is going to come and where do I get the money from? <laughs> yeah, that um, I mean, if you're going to start a business, you just have to have a frugal mindset. I'm not talking about eating beans out of a can, right? Um, but you ramen have for to, everyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my God, my husband loves ramen. Um, you have to be wise about what you invest in and you have to try to make decisions that are based on what is the return of investment here. I think um, oftentimes people who run business tend to be somewhat impulsive decision makers and they, yeah, I know everyone's <laughs> shocked by that. They sign up for coaching programs or courses or buy software or doodads or technology that is really cool and interesting, but doesn't actually have a return on investment. Doesn't act, I mean, it's fun and it's cool and it makes me feel good, but it doesn't contribute to my ability to generate revenue. And so I think those are the things that you have to look at and you have to set limits for yourself. When I first started, I set real strict limits on how much I would spend on professional development and how much I would spend on advertising so that I still had money to invest in things that I thought was actually impacting the growth of the business short term. So although it's not very fun, it's kind of like being on a diet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nobody likes it at the time, but you love it when it pays off. Exactly. Love it. Valerie, you've been awesome. Any last words for our peeps? You know, I think listening to programs like this is so helpful. Oftentimes as business owners and entrepreneurs, we feel isolated and alone. And even a show like this is, you know, with wonderful, obviously you're fabulous and, and great guests. It's a way of creating a support network of peers because you're surrounded by people who don't understand the pressure and the decisions that you have to make through no fault of their own. They're just not a business owner. And so I think, you know, actively create a support network for yourself, even if it's just videos on YouTube and podcasts like this one and, you know, following, you know, you on your Instagram or something, there are other ways to support, to create support networks than just actually, you know, going to networking meetings and speaking with people directly. I think we all have to be creative to provide ourselves with the support we need to be successful. I love it. Valerie, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thanks, Michelle. It's an honor to be on the show. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.